Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop expands upon the newly canonized St. John Henry Newman's view of college and university life. Then it's on to authentic Catholicism and how a pro-life perspective directly connects to social justice issues. And finally, Bishop answers listener-submitted questions. Submit yours at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. Thanks again for joining us and uh, imparting some of your wisdom with us again today. You're welcome, Kyle. Always good to be here. Just a few days ago, we had the canonization of now St. John Henry Newman. And on the July 10th episode, you talked quite a bit about his life. thought maybe instead of repeating that, people can go back and listen to that, the July 10th episode. Uh, maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about his how he became like the the face of the Newman Centers. Why is he associated with college students? Well, of course, he was um, quite famous at Oxford University while he was an Anglican, and he became a leader of the Oxford Movement, which was a very Catholic kind of um, group within Anglicanism. And of course, he eventually converted to the Catholic faith himself. And he was a prolific writer, an amazing intellect. Um, I think probably the reason he that Newman Centers are named after him is um, after he became Catholic, he served as the first rector of the Catholic University in Ireland. He was the, you know, it's now University College Dublin. But back in 1852, he delivered a series of lectures that are compiled in a book called The Idea of a University which is really uh, an explanation and a defense, really, of a liberal arts education. So it's a really important work. I mean, he has many wonderful works. Uh, his his uh, book on the development of doctrine is one of my favorites. His autobiography, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, The Grammar of Ascent, 
many, many homilies, many sermons um, and devotions that he wrote. But I think it was because of his writing the idea of a university. That's probably the reason why our uh, campus ministry centers at universities are called Newman Centers. Do you think those ideas on a university are still relevant today or are they a bit antiquated? Well, I think they're still relevant today, although you don't see uh, universities today really following uh, Newman's conception of a university. But I think they'd be much stronger if they did. Um, Hmm. So I would say even at, at the time, there were some who criticized his his ideas about a university education. But really, his, his basic thesis was that the primary purpose of a university is to develop the mind. It's not just to dispense information. I think a really key point is the idea of the unity of knowledge, the unity of understanding, hmm. and how every academic discipline, whatever it might be, contributes some knowledge to a particular aspect or part of the universe. So that in the search for understanding, we need to not only study a number of different disciplines, you know, history and literature and math and psychology, science, theology, but the relationship between all of these different disciplines, that there's a unity And that's the strength of a liberal arts education. It is to, um, it shouldn't be so narrow that it's just a specialization in one particular field, which is pretty much the way it is today. Now, Mm -hmm. we've preserved some of Newman's uh, thought in Catholic universities that have a strong core curriculum, Mm -hmm. but also that there needs to be kind of an interdisciplinary approach where the unity of knowledge is is upheld. This is something that Pope John Paul II in his apostolic constitution, Ex Corde Ecclesiae, said it was important for Catholic universities. It's not just imparting a lot of facts or a lot of information, but it's, it's also just having a um, the development of the mind. And there needs to be not just a utilitarian thing, like it's just preparing you for a job or to make money. It's about forming one's mind and and uh, disciplining one's mind mm-hmm. uh, through these different disciplines that are studied. So I think in the world today, in the world of education, the specialization is kind of the the mode of where you know you have a major or you just kind of like focus on one thing right also the the whole idea of research in a university wasn't something that um, that Newman would have promoted uh, hmm. his view was that we're trying to edu- to educate people in mm-hmm. the broad sense of the term not just giving them skills but helping them to think and to have a capacity for judgment Um <laughs> like judgment regarding how one puts their skills to work and how one acts in life. Part of the idea of the university, he has this beautiful section of what a gentleman is, a definition of a gentleman. Okay. And uh, when you read that, you kind of see what he has in mind. This has to do with being able to to learn how to be a, a citizen mm-hmm. and a, a friend 
and how you spend your time and all of that. So it's a kind of a much broader view of education than I think we find in universe, most universities today. He wants people to have educated minds. If it comes to having professional skills, that's something else. You know, you could go to a professional school, learn certain things, but he's, he's was interested in educating minds. Mm -hmm. I went to a class with my roommate in college because it served pizza at the class. Um, <laughs> and it was a bunch of computer science majors. And there was a guy that came in to speak and he was in charge of hiring for these organizations. He said, really, I don't care what computer language you know. What I care is that you know how to learn computer languages because whatever you're learning today isn't going to be relevant in 10 years. I just need to know that you can learn whatever right. new computer language comes out. And so that idea of learning how to learn, not just yeah. Yeah, memorizing facts or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of developing a discipline of the mind. And Newman writes, for example, that you know, a person can hear a thousand lectures or read a thousand books and just passively receive it, but uh -huh. not really enter actively into it. So we're talking about a real um, reflective kind of education. You know, it's interesting that he saw knowledge as something holistic and how the various disciplines kind of supplement each other because each one gives just a partial picture. And he's saying, no, we have to be able to expand our minds. And that's why he sees theology as an important branch of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And as you know, you don't see theology as a required course or courses in public universities and right. even in some Catholic universities where it's not part of the core curriculum. But really, we would consider uh, theology as, as very important mm -hmm. uh, to look at the whole of reality. He wasn't interested in career training. It was uh, education of the mind for its own sake. Hmm. When you have that education of the mind, you know, you're ready for any number of jobs or professions, like you were saying, you right. know. But he would see this um, liberal arts education as fundamental. Sure. Well, speaking of Newman Centers, you recently blessed the new Newman Center at Manchester University. So I, I think somebody said this is the only non-Catholic school in the diocese to have a Newman Center with actual physical right. location? I, yes, that's true. I can't think of any other. And it was really great that Father Drew Curry, the pastor at St. Robert Bellarmine in North Manchester, came to me with the idea of purchasing a property, and uh -huh. it's right on the edge of the campus and had the full support of the president of Manchester University. Oh, good. So, yeah, I'm very happy to have that. It's a place where Catholic students can come, where um, we have a library there of Catholic books. They can... Father Drew will celebrate Mass in a mm -hmm. chapel within the Newman Center. They can come for faith sharing and for socializing. And yeah, so it's great that we now have a Newman Center. Well, I guess, and also in the, the same line of university life, it, October is Respect Life Month, and you recently gave a talk on life issues for St. Mary's College Right to Life Club. Care to share any highlights from your, your talk there? Or Sure. I was really happy to be invited. The uh, treasurer for the pro-life club there that, of Bells for Life is uh, Bonita Murphy. 
and she's a young woman from our diocese who's a student at St. Mary's. Uh -huh. And I, she actually invited me last year, and I couldn't get a date until this year. Okay. And it was really, um, you know, last month I, I gave a talk, and it was entitled, To Be Authentically Catholic is to Be Pro-Life. Mm. And it was, uh, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to share with the college students, and there were other guests who came, about um, not only the importance of of our respect for the sanctity of human life from its beginning to its end, which of course I affirmed in the talk, I also wanted to address an issue that's a little bit problematic uh, today. And that is this split between so-called pro-life Catholics and social justice Catholics. Oh, yeah. And um, because sometimes there's this division, it's in, society too but it's kind of in it's really a false dichotomy sometimes it's identified as conservative versus liberal mm -hmm. or right wing versus left wing there's this polarization in our society that i wanted to talk about and i, I really was pretty blunt in saying it's really not authentic catholicism mm -hmm. our tradition has never held to this kind of a split that we have always had a deep commitment to the dignity of every human person and respect for life from conception to natural death. Mm -hmm. This was very clear in the teachings of the Second Vatican Council when it talked about attacks against human life poisoning our society. And I mean, that was 50 years ago, and it's gotten worse since then. And when the Second Vatican Council talked about uh, these attacks against human life, the council also says it does more harm to those who practice these attacks than to those who suffer from the injury, hmm. which is true, the spiritual harm. But, but it talked about, the council talked about abortion and about genocide and euthanasia and other assaults against human dignity, everything from slavery to prostitution, the selling of women and children, disgraceful working conditions, etc. So all this is part of our tradition. Mm -hmm. It's not authentic Catholicism to make a split. It's every human person that deserves our love and concern. So it's important that Catholics not buy into this segregated view because it distorts the church's defense of human life and dignity. When you think of the saints, they never did this. I can't think of a saint of the church who was not passionately committed to the love of the poor and the needy mm -hmm. and also to the love and protection of the unborn. Mm -hmm. They both go together. We can't be either or Catholics. We, Catholicism is always both and. Right. This is one of the great strengths of Catholicism. So we're concerned about justice and human rights. The right to life, of course, is the most fundamental. It's the most basic right, human right. It's really the condition for all other rights. Mm -hmm. And we're profoundly committed to the right to health care, the right to food and shelter, the right to work, etc. So this so-called split between pro-life Catholics and social justice Catholics is a false dichotomy. To be one and not the other is a problem. In my talk to the young women, the students, I talked about how some will object to what I just said, mm -hmm. um, and there'd be a, objections from the left and the right. So I wanted to kind of uh, anticipate those objections. So I spoke to them about how some on the left 
object because they basically dissent from the church's teaching on the right to life of the unborn. Mm -hmm. And when we know those on the left who may be very good in working on behalf of the poor, for example, but not accept the infallible teaching, and it is infallible, the infallible teaching of the church that to direct an intentional destruction of innocent human life from the moment of conception until natural death is always wrong. Right. It's something intrinsically evil. So that kind of dissent is unacceptable for a Catholic. It's mm -hmm. really heresy. But then there are those on the left, some, who say they accept the church's teaching on abortion, we're on euthanasia, mm -hmm. on a personal level, Right. But then they identify as pro-choice. They don't believe we should impose our beliefs on others. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is the position that was articulated by then-Governor Mario Cuomo in a famous speech that he gave at Notre Dame back in 1984. And there's a lot of Catholic politicians in the Democratic Party who say they're personally opposed to abortion, but they are pro-choice. As you know, the bishops of the United States have rejected that position, mm -hmm. and each of our popes has rejected that position. In his conscience, it seems that Mario Cuomo believed abortion was immoral, but then he made a distinction between his personal belief and his public position. Mm -hmm. And he argued that he was personally opposed to abortion, but he wasn't willing to pursue legal action to abolish it or to limit it because he said that he was a representative of all, of all the people, not just of those who shared his Catholic politicians. Well, that's not a legitimate distinction. right? And you can rebut it very easily with a simple analogy to slavery. Can a politician say legitimately that he or she is personally opposed to slavery, <laughs> but will take no action to outlaw it or to limit it mm -hmm. even? You know, how can one forsake one's conscience for the sake of their public duties. Mm -hmm. I mean, the great saint example for us and for all politicians in refusing to do that was St. Thomas More, who I talked about recently at our Red Mass. Mm -hmm. So even though we can admire Catholic public officials who work for things like universal health care or the rights of migrants or rights of refugees and other works on behalf of social justice— Actions on behalf of human rights lack something fundamental when the most basic right and the condition for all other human rights, namely the right to life, is not defended. It's really not morally coherent to be pro-life in one's conscience and then pro-choice in one's public life. Right. As a matter of fact, the U.S. bishop said about this uh, personally opposed to abortion but pro-choice position – Bishops say, no Catholic can responsibly take a pro-choice stand when the choice in question involves the taking of innocent human life. And this is a scandal to others, too, pro-choice Catholics. And it's obviously also harmful mm -hmm. to their own spiritual well-being. Right. So I, I also encounter some on the left who say to me that they're on the side of Pope Francis on these matters and are upset that many U.S. bishops aren't, aren't following his lead and giving priority to social justice over issues like abortion. Again, it's the either-or fallacy. Mm -hmm. And I like to point out to people 
how committed I and my brother bishops are to the church's teachings on issues of social justice. Mm-hmm. And then I point out to them that Pope Francis is a champion of the gospel of life, right. including on the issue of abortion. Yeah. And they're usually surprised to hear this because they only hear from the secular media about the Pope's teachings on issues like migration and poverty. Right. And those on the left are rightly enthusiastic about Pope Francis's strong teaching on the protection of our environment, on ecology. Well, I say, did you read Laudato Si? <laughs> the encyclical on care for our common home on ecology? Well, in there, you'll read the following. And the quote from Pope Francis is this. Concern for the protection of nature is incompatible with the justification of abortion. Oh, wow. He says, how can we generally teach the importance of concern for other vulnerable beings, however troublesome or inconvenient they may be, if we fail to protect a human embryo, even when its presence is uncomfortable and creates difficulties? Hmm. Pope Francis is very pro-life. I tell both Catholics on the left who tend to praise Pope Francis and Catholics on the right who tend to criticize him. Uh And there are many examples I can give on the Holy Father's defense of the unborn. But there's one that I think was particularly strong. When he was speaking about protecting unborn children with Down syndrome Mm. or uh, an unborn child when they do prenatal testing and they find some pathology. Right. And Pope Francis says outright, abortion's not the solution. And he not only said that, he sometimes uses very dramatic language where he asked, is it legitimate to take out a human life to solve a problem? Is it permissible to contact a hitman to solve a problem? <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. He says it's never lawful. So a hitman, right? You know. So he has spoken often about the sacred value of every human life. Often when he's criticizing what he calls today's throwaway culture. Mm-hmm. He believes and teaches with the church that every child is a gift that must not be thrown away. I also mentioned in my talk at St. Mary's that one of the heroes of those who identify as on the left or as social justice Catholics is Dorothy Day. Sure. And, you know, her cause for canonization is moving forward. But, you know, she's a real enigma to those on the right and on the left. Yeah. Because those on the right are often turned off by her anti-war stance Uh and what they consider her socialist tendencies. And those on the left often ignore her condemnation of abortion and contraception. Mm -hmm. Cardinal Dolan of New York once said to us bishops that he was convinced that Dorothy is a saint for our time because she exemplifies what is best in Catholic life. That ability we have to be both and and not either or. So then I also, at the talk, wanted to look at the objections from those on the right. So I'll move to that right now, Kyle, if you have time. Well, how about we take a break and this will be our cliffhanger. Okay, good. (laughs) People will have to come back. We'll talk about that, the the objections from those on the right, and also maybe if we have time, the red mass and some of your homily from that as well. Coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And Bishop, you've just been sharing uh, such a great reflection here. This is You gave this uh, talk to the Pro-Life, the Right to Life Club at St. Mary's College. And you were talking about kind of this isn't an either or that you be social justice or pro-life, but that we as Catholics need to be both. Right. And the, the error that people might make in doing social justice and caring for the environment, but being pro-choice or at least saying that we should allow others and that that's a problem. But you also mentioned that there's a, a problem for people that might consider themselves conservative or right-winged. And what would that be? Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, authentic disciples need to be passionate about life and mm-hmm. about social justice, you know, both and. And they're connected. And and as I've said already, there's a certain priority of issues about life because the right to life is the most fundamental, right? And abortion and euthanasia are intrinsically evil. Mm-hmm. And those on the right will agree with this. Mm-hmm. But there are problems arising when some will reject or minimize or ignore church teaching on other human rights and on justice. I mentioned earlier those on the left who dissent from church teaching on the moral truth of the absolute inviolability of human life are outside the bounds of Catholic orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. But I would say also there are some on the right who are outside the bounds of Catholic orthodoxy if they reject certain principles of Catholic social teaching pertaining to human life and dignity. A clear example would be the church's teachings on war and peace. Mm -hmm. Genocide is obviously an intrinsic evil. Mm -hmm. Or the teaching of the church that every act of war directed to the indiscriminate destruction of whole cities or vast areas with their inhabitants is a crime against God and man, which merits firm and unequivocal condemnation. Mm Mm-hmm. So to be an authentic Catholic and authentically pro-life is to assent to the beatitude of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Right. So there are teachings on justice and peace and other principles of Catholic social teaching that aren't optional for Catholics. Like pro-choice Catholics, there are some on the right who accept in their conscience the principles of Catholic social teaching, but who ignore them or do not give them the importance that is their due. Some will get angry at the Pope or at bishops for speaking out on issues like racism, Mm -hmm. immigration, healthcare, poverty, the death penalty, the environment, and other issues of justice. Well, these are also issues about human life and dignity. Mm -hmm. These are all serious moral issues that our nation and our world are facing. They're not optional concerns which we can just dismiss because there's authoritative church teaching on these issues. Mm -hmm. Now, some of these issues, like how to fight poverty, they admit of different types of solutions and different courses of action that allow for some freedom of debate and prudential judgment. But they're not optional concerns. There are certain principles also that all Catholics are to embrace the fundamental principles of Catholic social doctrine, like the principle of the common good, Mm -hmm. the principle of the universal destination of goods, which means that the goods of creation are destined for the whole human race, 
or the principles of subsidiarity and solidarity. So the Catholic Church teaches a consistent ethic of life. We revere the life of the child in the womb and the life of the child suffering starvation. Right. We revere the lives of the over 70 million displaced persons in the world today. Refugees seeking a home and other necessities of life. We revere the lives of all human beings as children of God. And we promote the rights required for human decency, food and shelter, education, employment, health care, housing, freedom of religion, family life. And our faith calls us to have a preferential concern for the weak and those who are most vulnerable in our midst. How can one read the Gospels and not come away with that? You know? Right. Pope Benedict once said, love for widows and orphans, prisoners, and the sick and needy of every kind is as essential to the church as the ministry of the sacraments and the preaching of the gospel. Hmm. I mean, that's Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, And we U.S. bishops have said that the preferential option for the poor and vulnerable includes all who are marginalized in our nation and beyond, unborn children, persons with disabilities, the elderly, the terminally ill, and victims of injustice and oppression. Those on the far right who criticize the church for its social justice teachings or ignore our responsibility to address these issues of human dignity within the framework of the principles of Catholic social doctrine aren't really serving the gospel of life. In fact, they can hurt the pro-life cause Mm -hmm. and mission. I get upset when some are more loyal to Donald Trump than to the church, hmm. or some who are more loyal to the Democratic Party than to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, we're called to be both pro-life and pro-social justice, both and, not either or. Think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Was there anyone in recent church history more committed to the care of the poor and the social teachings of the church? And at the same time, in almost every talk she gave, Mother Teresa would talk about the evil of abortion. Yeah. Or Dorothy Day, whom I already mentioned, deeply pro-life and so passionate about justice. Or look at the writings of St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI Mm -hmm. and the writings of Pope Francis. With them, we need to reject the false dichotomy between pro-life and social justice. We're Catholic We're both and, we're Mm -hmm. not either or, because the gospel of Jesus is the gospel of life, and it's the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of love. It's one gospel. And that's why I titled the talk that I gave at St. Mary's, to be authentically Catholic is to be pro-life. To be pro-life is to love and protect the unborn, the poor, the marginalized, the sick, the suffering, the elderly, and the dying. And just how important it is that we be united as a people of and for life. And to be honest, most active Catholics that I know are pro-life and are not on the far right or the far left. They're not in those categories. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many faithful Catholics struggle about who to vote for in political sure. elections. Yeah. 
because we really don't fit into the political parties and their platforms today. And I, um, I think about something Jesus said the night before he died when he was praying for the disciples, praying to the Father. And I think he was praying for us also as the disciples today. He said, Father, I gave them your word and the world hated them because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. I told the young women, the students at St. Mary's, that the Lord is sending them to be witnesses of the truth of the sacredness of all human life. And I say that to all our listeners, how we're called by God to be authentic witnesses of the sanctity of life of the unborn and of all God's children. And we need courage, courage, one of the fortitude of the Holy Spirit and protection from the evil one in the circumstances of our society today. Well, that was so good, but I think we're going to have to save our conversation about the red mass, and we'll talk about that and the white mass at a future episode. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a break. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have your questions like, what should we do if someone is asking for money and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop asking questions that you've submitted for him to answer. And Jason Wardwell from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, Fort Wayne says... Bishop, thanks for all you do for Redeemer Radio and for our diocese. My question is probably one that many of us can relate to. If I see a person on the side of the road with a sign asking for money, depending on the appearance of the person, I tend to hesitate donating any money for fear of this person spending the money on drugs or alcohol rather than on food. I'm torn. The responsible part of me tends to think that money would be better spent by giving it to an agency or organization where I trust the money would go towards something that will actually help someone and not enable them to further destroy themselves. But part of me still feels guilty by not giving the money directly to the man or woman in front of me. What do you think about this? Jason, that's a good question. I feel the same. I sometimes feel guilty if I don't give money to someone sitting, you know, on the sidewalk asking for money. I, I, I honestly try to. You know, a very difficult city for this is Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our bishops meetings are in Baltimore, and I also have my board meetings for Catholic Relief Services are in Baltimore. And I, I'm not exaggerating. When I walk down the streets, it's down by the Inner Harbor or near the Basilica of the Assumption, I can be asked by 10 or 15 people for money mm-hmm. who are begging or sitting and begging or walking and begging or more. It's probably the city where I've been approached the most. So I do think, what are they going to use the money for? If I have time, I'll sometimes offer to take them over because there's a lot of little 
you know, restaurants or what around there, or McDonald's or Seven Eleven or whatever, and offer to buy them something to eat. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, then you're sure that it's not going to be used for drugs or alcohol, right? Um, or to have little gift cards from these places that you right. could give to someone who's begging. But since there's so many in Baltimore, I'll sometimes just because I kind of prepare myself now, I'll just have one dollar bills. It is possible that they could use it for alcohol or drugs. But it's also possible that they will use it for coffee or food. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really on them. I'm just, you know, I, I kind of trust if they're saying, you know, they need it for food. I'm not, I'm usually on my way somewhere. I'm not going to have time to figure out. So I don't think you're making a mistake if you give money, even if they misuse it. Mm-hmm. But probably the best solution would be to maybe offer them a sandwich or something that they could have. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably the best. When I was a pastor in inner city parish, we'd have a lot of people coming to the door for food and we would just give food. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was easier. If they asked for money, sometimes we would have little um, vouchers or or gift cards that they could go somewhere to buy something that they needed rather than just giving them money outright. That because we were just inundated with people. Well, we ran a soup kitchen there and we fed about 200 people a hot meal every day for six days a week. So we were known for that. And, you know, we gave out clothes and other things too. You know, I don't like to ignore someone. I always think, well, that could be Jesus in the distressing disguise of the poor and it could be very right. legitimate. Um, but also, isn't this why we support the organizations that we have? We have so many in our diocese. If I tried to list all the soup kitchens and things like St. Vincent de Paul and Catholic Charities, Franciscan Center, there's so many different organizations, as well as our parishes, that are helping these people already. And we donate to them because we believe in the work that they're doing. And they might have a screening process or something to make right. sure that things are, are good or a counseling process to see, it. is there, you know... Is money the problem or is there a different problem? Are they being abused and we need to help them with that, get them out of that situation before the, you know? Oh, you're right. I think so. I mean, I think there's, uh, if there's a way to help a person get help at Catholic Charities or one of the other agencies, St. Vincent de Paul, where they actually can sit down and find out what the, why they're in this situation that they're in. So I think it's really important that we, we support our charitable organizations. And even if it means that you encounter someone and maybe walk them over to mm-hmm. your St. Vincent de Paul store if it's open or or over to um, Catholic Charities or whatever. But I think when you're in a situation where that's not possible, sure. you know, yeah. a direct aid is, is good. All right. Our next question is, can you give an update on the diaconate program and when will the next class start? We're now in the second semester of the year of aspirancy, Mm -hmm. which is the first year of a four-year program of preparation. So we're very early on. In January, I think, I'll be installing the men as official candidates after this year of aspirancy is over. And then they have three more years. So really, I'm not thinking at this point about another class. Uh, it's a little too early to be considering that. We have to look at the needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would not definitely not be sooner than, than three years from now okay. when the men are ordained. All right. You can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260 436 
95 98 and we have more listener submitted questions including ones about the stigmata and more on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop asking questions you've submitted. Someone asked, why do we call a pope's tenure his pontificate and a bishop's tenure his episcopate? Because the bishop is an episcopos. That's the the Greek and Latin where episcopos is, is the Greek. Episcopus is the Latin. Okay. So the time that he is bishop is called his episcopate. Okay. You could say like during the episcopate of Bishop Rhodes, such and such happened in the diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. Uh-huh. Same with pontificate. The pope is the pontiff or in Latin, the pontifex. Mm-hmm. Pontifex is a word that meant high priest, but literally it's from the Latin pons, which means bridge, and facere, which means make. Huh. So he is the the bridge maker, the bridge builder. Mm-hmm. So the pontificate is the time or the term that he served as pope, as pontiff. All right. And he's the supreme pontiff. Uh-huh. Another listener asked, is anyone alive today with the stigmata? You know, I don't know the answer to that question, although I do know about someone who died not too long ago who had the stigmata. Because at our last meeting of the U.S. bishops in June, we had to take a vote on the cause of a man uh, to propose to the Vatican for canonization. Okay. And um, the Bishop of Marquette, Michigan, Bishop Dorfler, and his his predecessor in the Diocese of Marquette, who's now the Archbishop of Portland, Oregon, Archbishop Sample, Mm-hmm. Um, they both supported the proposal of a layman for uh, canonization. And his name was Irving Houle. I think that's how you pronounce it, H-O-U-L-E. And it was very interesting because before we voted on it, we were able to learn about his life. And um, it was it was quite interesting. This is a man who died in, in about 10 years ago, in 2009. And they say he had the stigmata 16 years before he died. Hmm. Um, and then there were various healings, spiritual and physical healings attributed to him. And um, But he was a very devout man, went to daily mass, even from the time he was a teenager. He was a married man. That he, had, he and his wife had five children. And they were a devoutly religious family. And he was known for his devotion and for his goodness and then the healings that took place, and then the stigmata. So he evidently received the stigmata on Good Friday in 1993 and suffered every night then uh, Mm. for the rest of his life between midnight and 3 a.m. And he saw that as being united with Christ, of course, kind of like St. Francis. And as I said, he would go to different churches and other places, and there'd be healings that would take place as he would pray over people. He always said that he didn't heal anybody. It was Jesus who was doing the healing. So it's really an interesting um, man in, in these recent years who we know. But as far as whether there's anyone now who has them, I don't know. 
But if you want to check out, there's a website about him, the Irving Francis Hull Association for the cause of his canonization. And you can learn more about his um, very holy life. And again, he lived up in the Diocese of Marquette, the Upper Peninsula in, in northern Michigan. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity, for sharing uh, a little slice of your wisdom with us. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure, Kyle. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Listen next week for another new episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.